Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. So glad you're here joining us today. So every January, we do this little series that I call Back to Basics. And the idea is an annual refresher about the major points and principles of the science of mind philosophy. The science of mind philosophy, of course, uh, synthesized by Reverend Dr. Ernest Holmes, gosh, early in the last century, brought up to date uh, through the Centers for Spiritual Living. So, so far, we've covered quite a few things. Week one, we talked about the nature of God itself. And similar to most of the world's religions, God is all-wise, all-powerful, everywhere present. But where we do differ a little bit is that idea of everywhere present. We say that God is everywhere present because God is in and as everything, every person, every place, everything. The manifest universe itself is God in form. And so that's why uh, science of mind perhaps is a little different than some of the world's religions. We also talked about God being imminent. If God is everywhere, it means right here and right now. And so we don't pray to some distant God, to some guy in the sky on a throne. Our prayers only have to just be cognizized in our own minds. They only have to go as far as our own thinking. God is in the very air that we're breathing in. We don't have to go anywhere or do anything special to be in God's presence because we are always in God's presence. In uh, lesson two, we personalized that. We talked about God being not only present in the universe, but present within ourselves, that our bodies are a manifestation of God, and that our thoughts and our hearts and our actions, uh, everything that we think and feel and do, we can, if we choose, think of them as acting on behalf of spirit. And you'll remember we had a good discussion how we're we're more than welcome to seek our good out in the world, to, to show our authentic power. But the caveat is, let us do so not at the expense of anyone else. Let us make sure that our good doesn't have to diminish or displace anyone else. Well, last week we talked about one of the fundamental principles of the science of mind. And, and Ernest Holmes, I think, summed it up best by saying our thoughts become things. And of course, he was describing the divine creative process, that process by which our, our thinking, our thoughts, our beliefs tend to outpicture in the world. And so as we have thoughts of love and light, of joy and peace, of health, those kinds of thoughts will tend to produce their like in our bodies and in our lives. And unfortunately, of course, the reverse is also true. If we have thoughts of trouble and dismay, those too go into that divine creative process and are apt to produce results that we're not liking very much. And so we talked a little bit last week of making sure that we're weeding our mental garden, that we're doing the things necessary to, to bring some alignment into our thoughts, to make sure that on bulk our thoughts are positive, are about what we want to experience in life 
rather than what we choose not to experience in life. Well, this week I'm going to start from where we left off. I want to talk a little bit more on how we can actually use this divine creative process, how we can use our relationship for spirit in a purposeful way. And I think where I want to start is a reading. Um, Ernest Holmes talked about this process in kind of a unique way, and and it's a bit of jargon here, I apologize, but he calls it building a mental equivalent. And let me read from the Science of Mind textbook what he has to say about this idea of building a mental equivalent. He says, the whole teaching of Jesus was based on the theory that we are surrounded by an intelligent law which does unto us as we each believe. He implied the necessity of faith, conviction, and acceptance. We must not only believe, we must know that our belief measures the extent and the degree of our blessing. So in a way, we're, we're in charge of how much or how little we can bring into our lives in terms of love and light and joy by how much we believe that we can. And he goes on to say, we call this the law of mental equivalence. How much life can anyone experience? Only as much as we can embody. All right, now let's let's move beyond the jargon here a little bit. Mental equivalence, embody. Fancy words, I know. Let's uh, let's bring it into more of a practical realm. So first of all, what are what are the elements that I think signify this idea of embodiment? How do we know that this mental equivalent is reasonable? Well, I think it needs to have four primary characteristics. The mental equivalent, first of all, has to have some clarity around what we desire. How many of you out there actually know what you want to experience in this world? Now, some of you are saying, well, of course I know. Of course I know exactly what I want. But I would ask you, is that completely true? Or do you mostly know what you don't want to experience? Because you see, when I'm engaged with people in conversation, so often I hear what they don't want to have. They don't like their job. They're having trouble with their primary relationship. They're not making enough money. Their their health benefits aren't what they would like them to be. Their their children are not behaving the way they want, and so on and so forth. That it, it almost seems like there's more impetus or more clarity around what's not desired rather than what is desired. Well, I want to tell you, for this mental equivalent to work, for it to be a healthy and wholesome mental equivalent, it needs to be what you do want to experience. And so that might take some time on your part. You might have to visualize your life as as though it were going perfectly, as though it were beyond where you are today in some measure of love or life or utility. And uh, and for the moment, at least, put aside the gripes and the complaints about what's happening right now and instead focus on what you would like to see. How would you fit in it? What would the world be like if things were going the way you wanted? And so that's the first step of building this thing that Ernest Holmes called a mental equivalent. It's clarity around what you do want rather than what you don't want. 
The second piece of it is your ability to actually accept this good. Now, uh, you know, there's an old story about the person who, who wished and wished and prayed and prayed to have a million dollars. And as it happens, there was a, a bank robbery in the area and the thieves were being chased by the police. And so the big satchel of money they had gotten, they just threw over the fence and it landed on someone's porch. And so the next day uh, they went out and opened a bag and there was a million dollars. Well, of course they turned it in. They couldn't accept that money, right? But could you accept a million dollars? Could you accept the good that's waiting for you? I think people actually make excuses for why they aren't getting what they want. They make excuses for themselves. They they denigrate their own capabilities, their own intelligence, their own open hearts in order to actually keep their good at a distance. Now, some of you are saying, oh no, who would do that? But I, I would say to you, it may not be purposefully, but I see it all the time. People will tell themselves, I'm just not worthy of the good life. Who am I? to live well who am i to have uh, to have joy to have love they think of themselves as less than or inferior and when you are in that position you will not be able to accept the good life even if it shows up on your doorstep even if it is presented to you wrapped up with a bow you are apt to say that present must be for someone else And so think about that one for a moment. It's not only the clarity of what you want, but it's your own sense of, yes, that is right for me. I would and could and will easily accept that good. The third piece of it is truly the belief that God can bring it. You know, we talk in the science of mind as God is being all-powerful, all-wise, all-seeing, everywhere present. And then, uh, and then sometimes I think we, we make God about this big, and we think that we're the one that has to bring the good to us, that our good is limited by what we can do, what we can manage, the amount of money that we can work towards through the, the difficult job or the difficult ways of being in life, that, that only only we can do that and we we put aside the whole idea as god being infinite as god being infinitely powerful and the just the giantness of the warehouse that is god with with everything you could ever desire in it all the love all the life all the joy all the peace and instead we're we're bound up in that idea of personal control i need to figure it out myself i need to get it myself And we've completely neglected the idea that truly God has the power, has the resources, has everything that we could need. And therefore, we can rest with some peace of mind that knowing God's power is sufficient, even when my personal power might not be able to figure it out. Then the fourth piece of this, and that's the piece that we were stressing last week, it's really the piece I'm talking about quite a bit this week, that's the idea that God does respond to us, that there is a power greater than ourselves in the universe and that we can use it. That when we pray, when we meditate, when we build this thing called the mental equivalent, that it will be acted upon, that it is God's, in fact, good pleasure to bring our dreams, our prayers, our contemplations into form. 
God takes great delight as we take great delight. And so those are the four characteristics that I believe are necessary for a mental equivalent that's going to go somewhere, that's going to take off for you. And again, just to go over them very quickly, it's clarity of what is desired, it's acceptance of the new experience, it is for me, I will have it, I deserve it, it's belief in God's power, And then finally, it's belief that God will act on our behalf, that idea that our thoughts really do become things. So it's an element of clarity. It's an element of faith. It's an element of understanding. When you put those together, you have what Ernest Holmes called a mental equivalent. And when that mental equivalent is clearly in your mind and in your heart, because I think it takes both. We can come up, we can conjure the image and the ideas of what we want in our head. But the rest of it, the faith, I think, is a little lower. It's about a foot lower right here in our hearts. We have to be able to also absorb that on the feeling side of life. Yes, here's the vision of it, and I feel secure in God's power. I have faith in the ability for it to come into manifestation. So when we engage the heart and the head, when we have that clarity of what we want and the faith that it shall be ours, oh my gosh, it's how mountains are moved. It's how the miracles that are described in so many of the the world scriptures came about. It is through the, the vision of what we want and the acceptance in our heart that it shall be true. All right, I want to move forward with some more information on how to use it. But I think first, we might want to have today's joke. So a devout old shepherd lost his favorite Bible while he was out looking for a wayward lamb. He was heartbroken. The Bible had been given to him by his mother as a child, and he'd read it ever since. Every morning, he sat down and prayed for the Bible's return. Every noontime, he pictured someone returning the Bible to him. And at night, he prayed again and visualized it back in his own hands. Sounds like a good science of mind kind of guy, doesn't it? Well, three weeks later, a sheep walked up carrying the Bible in its mouth. The shepherd couldn't believe his eyes. He took the precious book out of the sheep's mouth, raised his eyes heavenward, and exclaimed, It's a miracle! Well, not really, said the sheep. Your name and address are written right inside the cover. But is that not the way of manifestation? God doesn't necessarily bring us the miracle of what we, what we desire in the terms of a miracle. It can take the form of a sheep. It can take the form of our own hands. When we, when we pray, when we have something in meditation, when we are visualizing our good, it will come to us. We don't get to dictate the form. We can't necessarily know the timing of it. It's part of the, the genius, part of the power of actually turning it over to God. When we pray, when we know in our heart that our good is ours and it's coming and it's here and we're loving it and we accept it, it can take the most miraculous forms or it can take the most mundane forms. Do we care? Our good is ours. Well, I'd like today to uh, to help us build the beginning of one of these mental equivalents. And so I'd invite you right now to close your eyes. 
we're going to do a little bit of a visualization technique here. Uh, visualizing, of course, with our eyes closed, right? It's the, the images, the pictures, the words that will come to us in our own minds. So just sit quietly. Allow your eyes to gently close. Feel yourself connected to your chair. We sit comfortably, breathing in and out, just gently. There is a peace, there is a connectedness. We are centered and grounded. Any worries of the day are put aside for now. We can pick them back up again later if we need to. Here in this moment, there is only the sound of my voice, only the pictures and ideas, the thoughts and beliefs moving through our mind. And today I'd like each of us to put some purpose around those thoughts and ideas in our mind. Let us each take a situation in our lives where we would like to see some level of improvement. It could be improvement around our job. It could be a deepening of a, of a connection that we have with someone else, an improved relationship. It could be an enhancement to our living situation, to our homes and apartments. It could be recreational in nature. Maybe we'd like to, to see more of the outdoors, to participate more out in nature. Simply choose something in your life, an area in your life, where you'd like to see some improvement or some healing. Could even be the healing of your own body. And once you have chosen this, Begin conjuring up words and ideas, thoughts and beliefs in your mind that support that desired outcome. So if it's a healing in your body, picture yourself in robust good health, perhaps running on the beach, enjoying life physically. If it's an improved relationship, begin to visualize yourself in that relationship, that relationship so full of love, of honoring and acceptance. See yourself interacting with the other person in that relationship in ways that, that highlight being together in peace and joy and harmony. So keep in mind that situation that you'd like to improve and begin filling in the details of what it would be like if that situation were just as magnificent as you can imagine. The healing was complete. The, the love is fulsome. The, the job is magnanimous. That everything about this particular situation is healed, is robust, is lavish, is beautiful, is touching. Begin filling in your mind with the pictures, the words, and the ideas that, that support the fullness of this changed life. And make sure that you're in it, right? Make sure that you're fully present in this vision. 
see yourself acting with a greater degree of love in the relationship. See yourself with the, the physical healing complete and you able to do everything you would choose to do. See yourself in that improved job. What's it feel like? How does it come to you? Well, this is the beginning of what Ernest Holmes would call a mental equivalent. Those pictures, those ideas, those thoughts. That clarity with which your new and improved situation reveals itself to you. But to make the mental equivalent complete, it does require our heart, not just our mental pictures. And so open your heart in acceptance. Say to yourself, this, this is for me. This life is mine to live. This joy, this peace, this healing, this beauty, it's mine. I deserve it. I am it. It is unfolding in my life and I embrace it. So we have the open mind full of the, the pictures and the words and the ideas of this new improved in situation. And we have the open heart, that heart that says, yes, this truly is for me. This love is mine. This abundance is mine. This wholeness or peace or harmony, it is for me and I accept it. And so we have created a little prayer here, haven't we? A mental equivalent is like a prayer. And I invite you just to release this prayer. Release this mental equivalent into the loving arms of spirit. That spirit that responds to our thoughts. That spirit that creates out of our thoughts and our mental images, our thoughts become things. And so with great gratitude, I release this mental equivalent, this prayer, into the divine creative process. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. So I invite you just to open your eyes as you will. So we've done something, I think, kind of special today. We've used just one of the many techniques that you might use for building a mental equivalent. I thought it would be fun to do a guided meditation. And of course, that's a great way to build a mental equivalent. But you have so many other ways at your disposal, too. You can simply sit down and, uh, and create a prayer or a science of mind treatment for yourself. You can sit in the silence and and contemplate your good fortune or your wonderful relationship. You could build a storyboard and cut out pictures of what your new and improved life would be like. Really, you have the option of customizing how you go about building this mental equivalent. But I do want to emphasize a couple pieces of it. We talked about the four characteristics that will make it a good mental equivalent, but I haven't mentioned uh, one pitfall around this. You know, it's 
sometimes difficult for us to really have our thoughts and emotions in alignment. And by that, what I mean is we might say a prayer in the morning to live the abundant life. And after a couple hours have passed, instead our mind is focused on overdue bills or, or lack and limitations in our lives. And, and as you can see, then our thoughts are no longer in alignment. We, we have chosen to stray beyond our thoughts of abundance or love or peace. And instead, we're back in the areas of worries, back in the areas of limitation. And when we do that, of course, we lose the, the coherence, the consistency of our thinking and it's as though we're we're throwing multiple and uh, and I would say conflicting prayers at spirit. One moment we're saying abundance, and the next moment we're saying lack. How, how does spirit create out of that? Then we're we're going to get a mess. Basically, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So do consider that there needs to be a level of alignment in your thinking throughout the day and throughout your mind. All right, let's summarize what we've covered today. Well, we've added a fifth key principle to our beliefs around the science of mind. Let me go through all five of the things we've covered this month. First of all, that God is all there is, and also that God is imminent, present in the here and now. Number three is that we're each an individualized center of spirit. So not only is God everywhere, but God present in our own lives, present as you and I. Last week, we talked about God responds to our thinking, the divine creative process that our thoughts become things. And today we learned how to use that creative process by creating what Ernest Holmes called a mental equivalent, that idea of aligning our heart and our mind with four key elements there, some clarity of what's desired, the acceptance of the new experience, belief in God's ultimate power, and then belief in this divine creative process that our thoughts will indeed be co-creative with spirit. All right, on to homework. I'd like to invite you sometime this week when you have a, a spare few minutes to simply sit down and develop a rich mental equivalent for some area in your life. Now, you might want to do it on paper. I know some people love to do journaling. You could literally list out all the elements of, of how you would like your life to be changed or enhanced. Uh, some people might want to do a visualization similar to what I led you through today. Others might want to write out a, a five-step science of mind treatment. It doesn't much matter to me how you go about doing it, but make a commitment to yourself that sometime this week you'll pick an area of your life where you'd like to see a, a healing or an improvement and build a mental equivalent of it. Bring your thoughts into alignment, right? We're going to give up the thoughts of lack. We're going to give up all the things that are going wrong and instead focus on aligning our thoughts in a matter that support what we do want to experience. That's the, that's the magic, if you will. That's the power of the mental equivalent is focusing your thoughts, your beliefs, your ideas into alignment. All right, that's your homework. I'm going to close today with uh, another quote from Ernest Holmes as he ends this fourth chapter in the Science of Mind textbook and a prayer. 
He says, it has been proven that by thinking correctly and by a conscious mental use of the law of mind, we can cause it to do definite things for us. By conscious thinking, we give conscious direction to it, and it consciously responds to our advance along the lines of our thinking. It must and will respond to everyone. There is no respecter of persons. We are surrounded by an intelligent force and substance from which all things come. It is around us and willing to take form through the impulse of our creative belief. It works for us by flowing through us. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one joy, one peace, only this one thing that I call God, and it is manifest throughout the entire universe. That includes me. It includes everyone on this planet, each of us a center of divine intelligence, each of us with access to this divine creative law, this process that takes our thoughts and turns them into things. And on this day, I know and I claim for each one of us our more conscious use of that law, of that spiritual principle. Each one of us, through the careful application of this thing called a mental equivalent, we can create our dreams here on earth. Each of us has the ability to organize our thoughts and our emotions into alignment, creating the world we wish to see. And so for this, I give great thanks for this potential, for this possibility, for this miracle, for this certain law. I give thanks. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.